Well, hello again. It's good to see you. Like I said, I'm Jason. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you uh, this morning. I'm so glad you're here as we continue in this series, Hope Arising, where we're looking through this part of the Bible called the book of Acts, the first 10 chapters, um, at, at how God showed up, uh, just like we saw in the video, what happened after that, how everything was changed. And last weekend, um, my cousin, uh, Lisa, she, she took my son Finnegan uh, to go camping with her, to go beach camping with, some, with her and her family and some other families from my life group. And, and they were a part of it. And it was great. He loved it, right? He, he got to spend a ton of time with his cousins. He got to hang out with some friends. He got to play in the ocean. He got to eat s'mores. He got to ride his Razor scooter until his legs fell off. I mean, he had a blast, when he came home, <clears throat> he was truly, I mean, like the, the definition of the word exhausted. I mean, when you, you know when like you see someone and you're like, <clears throat> you don't want to say, man, are you okay? You look really tired, which means you look bad, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you saw it in his face. It was like he was walking, but he wasn't really awake. And, you know, I just wanted to scoop him up and, and, you know, hold him and let him fall asleep. But unfortunately, we had some plans that we had to attend to. And so he had to, he had to kind of suck it up for a few more hours and go to his grandma's, uh, just hang in there. Well, that night, uh, after I got home, my wife had already gotten the kids and she'd gone home. And when I got home, by the time I got there, you know, chaos had erupted, right? Tears were flowing like the Nile River. Um, I mean, you know, because Finn was so exhausted or, you know, at least Finn was exhausted. I'm pretty sure that Grayson, my daughter, was crying because Finn was crying. Um, and the chaos just kept coming. And, and you know, I come in, I kind of try to like, you know, calm things down. And, and by the time, you know, I get everything calmed down, get them to brush and floss and get their jammies on and, you know, uh, we have this chair in our room that every night that we sit in before we go to bed and snuggle. And, you know, uh, and I just sat in it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, two minutes to brush their teeth, another minute to floss, you know, three minutes in, in six-year-old and eight-year-old time. I got 10 minutes. And um, so I know that's way funnier than, I, than you guys made it sound like. Um, <clears throat> so, so I'm sitting there. I'm responding to some emails, pull up my phone, responding to some emails, you know, responding to some texts. Um, you know, liking uh, all your guys' beautiful posts on Instagram. And, um, and then all of a sudden, when I'm in the middle, I'm literally in the middle of writing something, this little hand reaches out and grabs my phone. Dead silent. No words, no nothing. And I look up and it's Finn and he's there. And he, he grabs my phone, no words, sets it on the arm of the chair, crawls up in the chair, gives me a kiss, and falls asleep. Right? Okay. And I told him, why'd you take my phone? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I just pushed him off. But um, the truth is, in that moment, you know, my day was already at like an 85. On a scale of, you know, one to, you know, zero to 100, it went to like 150, right? And I could have like died in that moment. I was like, take me, Jesus. Doesn't get any better than this, you know? Uh, and I don't know about you, um, but if you have young kids at home, you are probably used to the fact that most interruptions are not like that, right? When you're in the middle of something and your kids interrupt you, it's not usually that amazing, right? Most of the time, my interruptions for my kids are dealing with, you know, 
Finnegan, you know, change your tone of voice with talking to your sister. Grayson, stop beating your brother with a guitar. Um, you know, uh, or the, the great riveting stories that six-year-olds tell that have no plot, no beginning, no end. Daddy, remember that time when... Right? And then she's off doing something else. And I'm like, wow, thank you for that Homeric epic tale. Um, You know, and then it takes me 10 minutes to get focused on what I was doing again, only to get, you know, interrupted again. And this happens all day. Most of the time, the interruptions I get are not very enjoyable. Well, the truth is, whether you have kids at home or not, you understand the concept of interruption, right? You have dozens of interruptions throughout your day, and most of them you are probably as fond of as I am, right? They can be seen as something that's slightly annoying, a nuisance, or if you've had that kind of day, just put you over the edge. What? What do you need? I mean, not that any of you or I ever do that. (sighs) Okay, but if we did, we understand, right? Every once in a while, though, there's one of those interruptions that you have throughout your day that you're like, I'm so glad this happened. This changed my whole day. Right, just like it was with my son Finn. Sometimes you have an encounter, uh, an interrupting encounter that, that changes, that you weren't expecting, that takes you to places you never thought you'd go, with people you never thought you'd meet, but you never want to do life without anymore. To put it another way, some interrupting encounters change everything. This is really our big idea, the sermon in a sentence. I want to encourage you to reach in your bulletin, grab your outlines, take notes. You'll remember far more of what you write down than what you simply listen to. And so the big idea, the sermon in a sentence, the, the, the whole talk today in a nutshell is this, that encountering Jesus should change everything. That encountering Jesus should change everything. When you and I encounter God, Up should be down, down should be up, in should be out, right should be, you know, new, wrong should be removed. I mean, everything about our lives should be radically altered. When Jesus interrupts our lives, he does so for our good and for his glory. Today we're going to read about an interruption from a man in the scriptures. And so I want to invite you to to grab the Bible in the racks in front of you or, or your Bible or open up your Bible app to Acts chapter 9. Um, I'm going to be reading it on my, my phone. Uh, if you're using the Bibles in the racks in front of you, um, it's on page 1100. And as you're turning there, I just want to kind of set up the story. This story uh, is, is two, twofold. Uh, one, it's probably the most famous passage in the book of Acts. Um, and two, it's probably the most famous story um, of someone coming to Jesus. And three, it's probably the most well-known chapter of the Bible um, outside of stories from Jesus in the New Testament. And this story talks about an amazing interrupting encounter that a man named Saul has on the road to Damascus. And so um, we read beginning in verse 1. The story's kind of long, but I think it flows well, so just try to hang with me. It'll be up here on the screens if you'd rather look there. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning people who followed Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he got up, or excuse me, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. In this passage, we read about this amazing interruption in the life of a guy named Saul and his day. We read that as he's walking on this road, he sees this blinding light that's so profound, it, it pushes him on the ground to be on his knees. And he hears a voice that comes from nowhere and everywhere at the same time. And everyone there that was standing with him, they don't see the light and they don't hear the words, but they hear this rumbling sound. And the very reason that he's on the road in the first place meets him where he is and says it's time for a change. This is what should happen to us when it comes to our faith. Not a big, you know, blinding light and, and a voice from heaven, but the fact that everything would, should, should change. And it, the beautiful part is each week in this series, as we've read in the book of Acts, we've seen persons, you know, or people whose lives have encountered Jesus and they've been radically altered. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the best part about that is it's not just something that's happening 2,000 years ago in, in, you know, cities like Damascus. It's happening here. Each week, we've had somebody or somebodies come to a, a saving faith in Jesus. And then we've seen the trajectories of their lives being radically altered for the gospel. Jesus, encountering him, changes everything. I know that that's what it was like for me at 15 when I first met Jesus. 
That amazing experience changed the trajectory of my life forever. And although it's true that some change happened overnight, the majority of the truth is that uh, what happened that night was I was placed on a road to be changed, to encounter change, a lifelong process of being Jesus's. And I know this is the same for you too, that some change occurred immediately and some change is still occurring. Well, those of you who have grown up in the church hearing Saul to Paul's uh, stories, you know that, that by the end of his life, he was a radically different person. In this passage, though, we see some of the core changes that occurred instantaneously. And they should change for you and me when we truly encounter God. I want to give you three of them. Three things that should change when we encounter Jesus The first one and the next thing I want to encourage you to write down is this, that encountering Jesus should change our passion. Encountering Jesus should change our passion. For Saul, his passion was changed overnight. We know that from his writings later in the New Testament that he was an intense follower of God in, in in a particular sect of Judaism called the Pharisees meaning that he was a part of the group of people who got Jesus convicted for a crime he didn't commit. That's who Saul is. He's an intense follower of the law. Not only is he an intense follower of the law, he's called a zealot. Now, zealots were an even smaller group within Judaism who protected the tradition, the way things were supposed to be done. And he was that guy. And he fought against anyone in the synagogues who came to to fight against that tradition. And remember why he was on the road in the first place. To bring every follower of Jesus he met to the courts to be tried. By the way, if you don't know this, the main judges of the Sanhedrin are the Pharisees. So to bring him to his own justice, essentially, is why he's on the road. We see this short description of his intensity and his passion in the chapter right before where we find ourselves this morning. I'll throw the verse up on the screen. It says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, this is a very particular word that Luke uses to, des- um, to describe Saul to, when he says to destroy. The, the Greek word is lemenomai which I know you all know, and and I know you use in regular conversation, but it means to destroy. This particular word, though, for destroy, there's many different words. This word is only used in two places in the Bible. The entire Bible, cover to cover, this word is only used twice. One to describe Saul of Tarsus and his uh, passion to destroy the church. And the other, in Psalms 80, verse 13, of describing a wild boar ravaging a vineyard. Now, um, in that context uh, of uh, the word lemenomai, it actually uh, implies the implication of the word is an animal tearing a human limb from limb. An animal essentially ravaging a body of a human, destroying that body. Not just killing the person, but literally tearing them to pieces. So when Luke is describing the intensity and passion that Saul of Tarsus had to destroy the church... He says it's just like an animal shredding a human bit by bit. He was pretty passionate to destroy the church, to say the least. 
But this encounter changes that. He no longer refers to Jesus as fraud or defiler or, or um, obstructor of the tradition. He refers to him now as Lord. The voice came from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul answered, who are you, Lord? He quickly learned who the Lord was in Jesus' response. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. It would be hard to imagine how much these words must have struck Paul, right? I think a two by four to the face doesn't even cut it. Because think about this. These, are, these words are a direct confrontation to what he's built his life goal on. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, right? Where you found out that the entire direction you were heading, everything about the way you were going, everything you were pouring your energy into was not only wrong, it was foolish. Not only was it foolish, it was useless. Right? Have you ever had one of these moments where you poured all this energy and time into a project only to find that that the project was unnecessary? This is like that for Saul, only it's not a project at work. It's his, it's his life's work. It's like arriving at the end of your life only to find that whatever you spent the last 40 years doing as a job did nothing for no one. Like I said, two by four, right? He, who he once looked at as a blasphemous lie. The blasphemy is that, that Jesus... Um, is reigning in glory with the Father, and the lie is that he rose from the dead, is now a glorious truth. That not only did he rise from the dead, but he truly is reigning in glory with the Father. His passion was to destroy the church, but that day a fire was set in his heart like the fire that came on the men and women uh, at the day of Pentecost and ignited a pursuit that would last the rest of his life. His passion changed directions, right? His passion was to destroy the way, and it's now to build it. It was to arrest the followers of the way, and it was now to be one of them. Again, this, this should be true for us as well. This isn't something that just happened to a guy named Saul that you've never met. This is happening week in and week out here, here at Beach Point. One story is of a guy who was leading us this morning in worship. His name is Brian Forbes. Super dude. Love him. He was a student from uh, my youth group when I was the youth pastor here. Um, when I was introduced to him, I was not introduced. I was introduced to him. He said, hey, this is Brian, but that's not his real name. His real name is Hey Ladies. And by Hey Ladies, I don't mean like Hey Ladies. I mean like Hey Ladies. Okay. I'm talking about that kind of Hey Ladies because that is who he was. I, in fact, it was in my phone every time he would call me, Hey Ladies is calling you. I just took it out of my phone like a year ago because I'm like, this isn't who he is anymore. God has changed his life. The passion of his life is no longer to lead people to the promised land of women. Okay? Just telling you like it was. It's now to lead people into the throne room of God to encounter him. Another story of how this is happening week in and week out that's so... 
um, huge for me in my life that I get to be a, a daily part of is the story of, um, of a, a woman named Megan Ritter. We have a picture of her right here. You guys saw this last week or two weeks ago, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, that's me on the, the left and, and her husband on the right and, and Megan in the middle. And for the past few years of her life, she described her passion to, as to pursue health and wellness for people. And as I met with her before we went in the ocean, she said, I realized that there is a health and wellness more abundant than I ever thought possible in Jesus Christ. This is not happening just 2,000 years ago, Beach Point. It's happening today. Amen. Manny's excited. <laughs> so am I. Because I get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. Lives are being changed. Passions are being redirected. This is what should happen when we encounter Jesus. Not only that, though, and this is the next thing it should change, and the next thing I want you to write down. It should change our relationships. Encountering Jesus should change our relationships. See, after Saul was led into the city, <clears throat> we're introduced into our, in our story to a man named Ananias. Ananias is praying, and he's having a conversation with God. And, uh, and as, he's, um, as he's having this conversation, God says to Ananias, hey, go to this house, uh, the house of Judas on Straight Street, heal and pray for a guy named Saul of Tarsus. The problem was, is that Ananias knew exactly who Saul of Tarsus was, and he was rightly afraid of him. Remember, Ananias, or Ananias knows who Saul of Tarsus is. The beast tearing the church limb from limb. And after a short conversation, Ananias gets up, walks over to the house, and he begins his prayer with the most beautiful words that I could ever imagine. He begins to pray for Saul, and he says, Brother Saul. This isn't some, like, pithy, churchy way of addressing him, like, Hey, brother. Good to see you, brother. It's not like, you know, Hulkamania, right? Okay? <clears throat> to be referred to as brother is to be fully embraced and fully accepted. Ananias, in calling Saul brother, was saying, you and I are now family. The moment Ananias understood what God called him to do, not only does he go and do it, but to the one who was on his way. I don't know if you've put two and two together yet. Ananias is one of the leaders of the church in Damascus whom Saul is going to arrest. He goes to him and he says, you're not my enemy, you're my family. This encounter with Jesus changed the heart Saul and Ananias from what could only be described as relationships at war to being truly family. And this is the beauty of the family of God, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're in. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, not because of who I am or who, who anyone is or what anyone's done, except for who Jesus is and what he's done. As I was reading this this week, I was, had my own two-by-four moment where I had to ask myself the question, would I do this? God comes to me in a conversation, and he tells me to go and pray and to heal someone who just the week before 
killed my friend. Because that's what's happening here. Saul is the overseer of the first martyr in all of Christianity. He oversees the death of Stephen, who was Ananias' friend. Would I go? Would you go? And even if you would go, would your first words be ones of welcoming into your family? This is the beauty of the gospel, that it is for everyone and against no one. Ananias rightly thinks, is it safe? This does not seem like a good idea. This does not seem like it is in my best interest here, Lord. This guy is the hitman of the rival gang, okay? This is not going to work out for me. Is it smart for me to go meet Saul in a dark alley unarmed? Okay, probably not a good idea under any other set of circumstances except in the family of God. Ananias addresses him as brother Saul. And these were the first words that are recorded of Saul having heard post-meeting Jesus, post-encountering Jesus. And can you imagine what they must have felt like for him? <clears throat> Remember, the Bible is full of real people in real places in real time with real problems. If you were the guy who just last week had been responsible for killing the guy's friend, would you want him to come to see you? Heck no. You want to avoid that guy as much as you could. And yet the first thing that guy that comes over to heal you says is, welcome home, brother. Thank you for hearing him. See, encountering Jesus should change our relationships because Jesus changes um, liars into leaders, thieves into theologians, and murderers like Saul into fishers of men named Paul. The beauty of Ananias' obedience is that it is a clear picture that someone who has encountered Jesus can't help but see people differently. It can't change, or it, it shouldn't. It should change the way we parent. It should change the way we love and honor and submit to our spouse. It should change the type of friend we are. It should change the type of son or daughter we are. It should change who we give the time of day to and who we don't. Who we see as valuable and who we don't. Because the God of the universe looks at every single person from the person you like, who is enjoyable, who is the same as you, who you want to spend time with, to the person who annoys you the most, who you don't like, who you wish in all all of God's green earth that you know God loves them, but you think they're a beep and you, okay, that he sees all of those people the same as 100% valuable and loved. Maybe you have been carrying around a bitterness towards somebody. Beach Point Church, if you call Beach Point your home, it ends today. Today you stop. It doesn't mean it's going to go away overnight. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a hard road. But today you look your enemy in the face and you say brother. You say sister. You say father, mother, son, daughter. Not because of what they did. Not because they deserve it. But because you and I who don't deserve it were introduced the same way to Jesus.
Maybe there's someone who's, who's hurt you. And God's prodding in your heart to extend the grace and the mercy and forgiveness that God extended to you. Like I said, it doesn't mean it's going to be an immediate road and everything's going to be great. That's not real life. Things were probably kind of complex for Ananias and Saul in the beginning. In fact, we learn later on in the chapter that everywhere Saul went, he had to re-explain himself. And everywhere he went, the brothers and sisters had to assure everyone else that this wasn't like a joke. That this wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like spy games. See, it was a process. But encountering Jesus should change our relationships. Ananias and Saul show us this. The next thing that encountering Jesus should change in us, and the third thing I want you to write down, is that it, it should change our mission. It should change our mission. Saul had been on a mission. His mission was to destroy the church of Jesus. But after the scales fall off, there's a drastic shift. The scripture says that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Immediately, Paul's mission shifts, and he begins to preach that Jesus is who he truly said he was. Going to the synagogue was not a new thing for Saul. He's a Pharisee. He lives at the synagogue. He lives teaching at the synagogue. That's what he does. But his mission had been to protect the traditions and to oppose anyone who came up against them. And now he's going in saying, those same traditions that I fought for so vehemently, so violently, like a beast tearing a human piece to piece, piece from piece, I now say, no, Jesus is alive. He is the Son of God. When you encounter Jesus, it changes your mission from whatever it currently is to his mission and whatever part of it he has for you, right? One of the most amazing stories of that in my, you know, it's happening this weekend or it happened this weekend. Last night here, um, the, uh, the youth building, which is the building closest uh, to Magnolia, got turned into, you know, a, a dance party. And, uh, and uh, the conference room got turned into a salon, okay? And, uh, and <clears throat> for, uh, for one night, there was a group of people that uh, a, a woman named Kira leads. That's a group of, called Capernaum, which is a group of um, high school, college age, and young adult age kids and, and adult, young adults with special needs. And they had a prom. They had their own prom. And, uh, and here last night, I mean, it was amazing. She worked so hard all day to make sure that night was wonderful. If you follow, you know, Beach Point uh, on Instagram, I'm sure you'll see some of the photos later. It was amazing. Let me tell you, let's backtrack. Let's rewind a little bit to uh, Kira 1.0. Uh, Kira, who I first met, <clears throat> First day here in the office at Beach Point, coming back to be the youth pastor. Kira's um, the same grade as Brian. Uh, they're in the same class. And, uh, and on my desk um, is this note. And this note is from Kira and the Blue Zone. Zones are what they call life groups in, or what they used to call uh, life groups in the high school and junior high group ministry. 
And, uh, and there's this note from her essentially telling me, one, you know, hey, welcome, Pastor Jason. There's a few things you need to know about the rock. The first thing is Blue Zone's the best. Um, and the other thing that you need to understand is that whatever Kira and, and this other girl named Ryan, whatever we ask you to do, you do. Um, and whatever you need to know about the youth group, you can come and talk to us because we are the rock. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, you know, tear that piece of paper right up. Okay, that's Kira 1.0. That's six years ago, Kira. Last night, I walked into the youth building, and the youth building wasn't about Kira. It was about the love of God poured out through Kira and her team of people, some of you even in this room, on some kids and some young adults. It's not just 2,000 years ago, people. The mission that God is calling you to is not something for some super Christian. It's for everyday people like you and me. When we encounter Jesus... It changes our mission to his mission, whatever part of that he has for us. The truth is that God reserves the right to interrupt yours, your life. He does not wait for an invitation. He's not waiting for you to send him an evite. He's not waiting for you to shoot him a text. He's not waiting for you to create a Facebook event called the interruption of your life, um, where Jesus is a guest. He's not waiting for any of this. In fact, he didn't wait for an invitation with Saul. He just showed up. In fact, the beautiful part about this is Saul later describes this event in his writings. And he said, Christ took hold of me. Well, the word for took hold of means seized and, or arrested. And I think it's so beautiful that on the road to arrest the followers of the way, the way arrested him and changed the course of his life. It's also true, though, that God's grace and his mercy and his interruption is not compulsive. You can choose to ignore it. God humbled Saul on the road, but he didn't turn him into a robot. He still had the choice. He could have been led into the city. He could have been prayed over, let the scales fall off, and slaughter every last one of those Christians in that room. And not only could he have done it, he had papers in his hands that would have said he was legally okay in doing so. Everything about Ananias' lives, or excuse me, Ananias' and Saul's lives were changed when they encountered Jesus by freely choosing to respond. So what about you? What might God be calling you to, to change from your encounter with him? Maybe that encounter is today. Maybe today for the first time you're encountering Jesus, the scales are falling off. And you're saying, I see it now. I see it. The same world, totally different. Or maybe you're, you've grown up in church. You've been in church. You've done church. But you've been choosing not to cooperate. Not to enter in. And maybe today you sense God working in your heart of the mission, the passion, and the relationships that need to change. I want to invite you to respond. As the band comes up, we're going to celebrate communion together. At the foot of the cross, we're all loved regardless 
of our past. We're all invited to the foot of the cross as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, forgiven and loved. Jesus lived a perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserved and he was risen from the dead on the third day to show us that nothing can stop his love from interrupting our lives. The, the bread represents his body that on the cross was broken for you and me. And the cup represents his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. As the, the cup in, comes by, as the, as the plate gets passed, I want to invite you to two things. The first thing is to, to recognize that, that each little um, cup has two cups, and inside the bottom cup is the bread. So make sure you take both. And the second thing is if you're here today and you're saying, Jesus, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to work itself out. But today, for the first time ever, the scales have fallen. I want to follow you. Then this table is for you. If you're here saying, Jesus, I've, I've been interrupted, but choosing to ignore it. And today, I, I choose differently. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I need your help. This table is for you. This table is for the believer. And if today is your day to choose to believe and to follow Jesus, then this table is for you. I encourage you to take this time. If it's the first time simply to say something, some prayer as simple as, Jesus, I'm yours. I want to follow you. And if it's some change that needs to happen, I'd encourage you to take the time to reflect. Don't miss this moment. Don't rush from this moment. The God of the universe is not finished changing lives 2,000 years ago. He's doing it today. He's doing it here with you and me. Would you pray with me as the cup and the bread get passed? God, it's our deepest, most sincere prayer. that we would encounter you all the time and that everything would be changed from our encounter with you, God. But we can't do it on our own. We need you. So we thank you, Father, for the agony of watching your own son die on the cross. Jesus, for enduring the cross, and Spirit for convicting and counseling us every day since. We give you our whole selves now.